Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. This morning we are going to um, continue in a series. We're almost done. We have next week is our last week of Hebrews. And then we'll go through it again next year. I'm joking. Um, we're in week 18, and there's only 13 chapters, so that's a gift. It's called the gift of gab. But there is, I'm going to tell you um, a joke, though, first, because, it's, it, yeah, no, like, I discovered something today. I've been looking at different trucks, and because I just like to look at trucks, and um, Ford trucks have this feature in the back of every one of their manuals now. I don't know if you guys knew this, but the last four pages of every Ford trucks manual, in fact, it's not just Ford trucks, it's Ford in general. The last four pages of every Ford manual, you know what it is? It's a bus schedule. Oh, come on. Come on. That's just, that's bad. That's bad. Actually, believe it or not, 90% of all Fords that were built in the last 20 years are still on the road. The other 10% got towed home. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. Come on. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, they flow out of me. And I love Fords. My dream truck is a Ford Raptor. And uh, I can't help it. I just, it just, uh just a tender spot for most people. And I, I, I have this knack for pushing buttons, just, just pushing buttons. And um, today, I hope to push some buttons. Uh, I haven't got to speak in two weeks. And let me tell you, man, what, weren't the last two weeks so good? So good. If you, if you missed the service two weeks ago, uh, go back and listen to Gene Garcia. Our, um, our, our, he's a uh, Teen Challenge Director out of Murfreesboro in this area. Such a powerful testimony of God's grace in his life and how he was radically saved out of drug addiction and um, all sorts of demonic activity. It's crazy, his testimony. And it's a beautiful thing, though, how God can set you free. There's nothing that he can't set you free from. And then last week, last week's message was not online. We could not post it online simply because of the people that were being ministered to, but if you would like to listen to it or watch it, I have a copy of it, um, but you cannot post it or share it with anyone if you get it, simply because it's very sensitive. If, if they were found out, they would never be able to minister to those people again, so it's a great, great testimony of what God is doing, though. Today, we are jumping into Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be looking at 14 through 29. The title of my message today is Listen Up. Listen Up. This whole, this whole section of scripture, it leads with some commands, some imperatives that the Holy Spirit tells us. We must do things. So like an imperative is a sentence that the you is implied. So as we look at it, you'll see like, hey, and what, what else is an imperative? It's a command, right? So he gives us some commands um, right here at the beginning, but these commands are for us, they, they lend themselves, when we walk these out, 
It will help us hear God clearly and frequently. Because God is always speaking. But we're not always listening. But when we walk out these things that the Holy Spirit lays out for us, it will allow us to hear God clearly and consistently. And so we're going to jump right in. Let's jump right into verse 14. It says, Work at living in peace with everyone, and work at living a holy life. For those who are holy, uh, for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Well, that's pretty straightforward. But it says, work at living at peace with everyone. That's an imperative. You work, and you work at living a holy life. You know the only definition of holiness given is God? <laughs> be holy for I am holy. Well, what does it mean to be holy? Be like God. That's literally, that's be, be like Jesus. That's, that's the definition of holiness. What did Jesus do? He followed God perfectly. So look after each other. So you look after each other. The, the you is implied in an imperative sentence. So it's a command, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. You watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. It's again, the you is implied, corrupting many. And then it says, make sure that no one is immoral or godless. So this is, once again, an imperative, it's a command, the you is implied, you make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright at the, as the firstborn son of, for a single mill. You know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance. Even though he begged with bitter tears, you have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard the awesome trumpet blast and the voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. In the Old Testament, there's this moment when Moses is going up on the mountain and he's about to receive the law of God. And God descends on a mountain with whirlwind and fire. And they think they discovered Mount Sinai. You can Google it. And there's this mountain, and it's like two-tone. It's like light color, and then it's burnt on top. They believe this is a mountain of God because it's like completely seared, like with flame. It's like, it's like two-tone. It's crazy. And they believe that's where God descended on the mountain. And with that said, God descended, and he started speaking to Israel and they were terrified. They begged God to stop speaking. And even Moses was terrified. And they said, Moses, we never want to hear the voice of God. We will let you mediate between us and God. Because they were scared. Which is technically the proper response when you encounter God. Every, t every time throughout history, whenever anyone encounters the true presence of God, <laughs> they fall on their face in terror and awe because God is God. He's not a tame puppy.
For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. No, you have, no, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Be careful. I want us to say this together. Just this first sentence. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. I'm not talking about myself. I'm not talking about myself. This is a warning that the Holy Spirit gave us through the author of Hebrews. Be careful that you do not, that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel do not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This means that all creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. Let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. We can never lose our awe of God. The Bible says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. For, God, for our God is a consuming or a devouring fire. Man, if, think about this. When God gave the law to the Israelites, he shook the earth. And that law was confirmed with just the blood of animals. Like they sacrificed and they sprinkled the tabernacle, they sprinkled the law, and all these things with the blood of animals. He just shook the earth. How much more when he gave his son, Jesus Christ, he came God Almighty stepped into humanity, laid down his deity, and walked 100% God, 100% man for 33 years. He did everything as a man led by the power of the Holy Spirit to show us for three years of ministry, 33 years on earth, 30 years of preparation for three years of ministry, for three hours of purpose on a cross to redeem mankind with his own blood to cover us so we can become righteous and holy. How much more? And then he established a kingdom. And it's not a kingdom that is of this world. The kingdom 
of God is not one of borders, not one of nations, it's one of hearts. That's why there's nothing on this earth that can stop the kingdom of God. When they try to shut up the kingdom of God, it keeps going forward. The more they persecute the church, the more the church spreads. The more they say, stop saying that. You're offending people. Stop doing that. You can't preach the word. Guess what? The kingdom of God spreads because it's a kingdom of the heart. It's a kingdom. The Bible says, God says, the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom, against the church, because it's a kingdom of the heart. How much more, though? That's the kingdom we belong to when we, when we make Jesus Lord of our life, when we lay down our own desires, when we lay down our own life, when we say, God, I'm wrong and you're right. When we repent and say, come be Lord, that's the kingdom we're a part of. Because one day... Jesus is going to come back and there's not going to be one excuse that you can give him for why you didn't receive salvation. Well, God, I wanted to do it my way. He's like, are you, are you covered? Are you born again? Are you covered by the blood of Jesus? Because when he shakes again, it won't be the earth. He's going to shake the heavens. He's going to form a new earth and the new heavens. And the only thing that's going to remain is the kingdom of God. The only thing. And if you're not part of the kingdom, you won't remain. That's why it's so important, church, to share the gospel. Because God wants everyone in the kingdom. The Bible says God is not willing that any perish, but all come to a place of repentance. But to walk in repentance requires complete humility. What's being taught in churches and across the nation is not humility. It's saying don't change because that's how you are. And Jesus says, die to yourself and follow me. The new, mo the, the new motion of being woke is a counterfeit born again. We're to be born again through Christ. This has nothing to do with my message. I'm moving on. <sighs> mm. Thank you, Jesus. He commands multiple things here because he wants to speak to us. I want us to hear his voice clearly and consistently as, as people of God. So this scripture Hebrews 12, 25, be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. That has multiple implications. For the believer, the, the, the implications are set right at the beginning of this passage. And we're going to go through that. For the non-believer, we're going to hit this at the end. But there's only so many times that you're going to have an opportunity to receive the gospel. God's always going to be coming after you but I don't want you to ever get to the point where you're so callous that you don't receive. So if you've never given your heart to Jesus or you never repented, don't let this be a day where you walk out after hearing the gospel because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Don't refuse that message. But for, for us who are, 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 are already following Jesus, I wanna, I'm gonna break down these imperatives because I want us to hear God's voice clearly and consistently. Because he's always speaking to us. He's always going after us. Number one, the number one way he speaks to us is through his word. The Bible. It's completely, there's a big theological word. It's infallible. Do you know what that means? 
It's without error. There's not one thing in the Bible that is wrong. It's the authority for everything that we believe and do. It, it allows us to know what is right and wrong. And also, the Bible in, in John chapter 1, it tells us in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Who's Jesus? He's the Word of God. He's the, he's the expression of the Word of God. When God spoke, let there be light, Jesus came into action and formed the earth. Everything was made by him, through him, and for him. Well, it doesn't, well, well, it says God spoke, let there be light. Where was Jesus? He was the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then we have the word of God. The Bible is Jesus in book form. So if you want to know Jesus, read the Bible. See him, know him, meditate on him. But the first thing that he tells us to hear him clearly and consistently is work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. I love it <laughs> when messages write themselves. I do. Because I don't have to think of a clever way to say this. Oh, what's, what's my first point? The Holy Spirit said it right there in the Word. I don't need to think of something to reword this. He just straight says it. You notice, notice the word that he used twice. What word was it? Work. Know why he said this? I'm going to tell you. It's a good question. It's not a call to work for your salvation. So all you who are very legalistic and religious, like this is not your anthem. See, I knew there are works involved in my relationship with God. No, that's not what he's saying. So I'm sorry to burst your bubble. You are saved squarely and solidly on Jesus, his grace and the faith that he gave us. Get this, even the faith that we have to believe is given to us by God. The Bible says he's given us each a measure of faith. So the fact that you are saved at all or believe God at all, it's all a work of him. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, we are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from ourselves, but it is a free gift of God so that no man can boast. Your salvation is all on Jesus. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do about it. Just receive it. So that's not what he's saying. It can kind of look like that. No, he said, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. But some of us heard, work at living with peace, living in peace with the people you like. Like we, we read everyone, but we're like, he can't really mean that. Has he met everyone that I know? No, no, it's, it's everyone. You know why it's called work? Because it's hard to do. He didn't, he didn't misquote himself. He's like, oh, I didn't mean to, oh, man, did I say everyone? No, that wasn't a typo. And it wasn't a typo, it's work. But you know, one thing I've noticed about work, anything that takes work is almost always worth it.
This is broken into two sections. Work at living at, at peace with everyone. You know what Jesus, I, I, I think Jesus actually says something in his Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes, and I think it's going to bring a lot of clarity what it means to living at peace with everyone. Jesus said this in the Beatitudes. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they are called the children of God. This is what Jesus talks about when he talks about us and peace. Living at peace with everyone. Because sometimes what we think living at peace with everyone means is that we are just going to roll over and let them kick us. Or we're just going to bow down to their every desire. We're just going to take it. That's not what it means to work at living at peace. Work at living at peace. You don't have to work at rolling over. You don't have to work at getting beat up. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Peacemakers work. But what most people hear when they hear peacemaker, they hear peacekeeper. Like, we read peacemaker, but we hear peacekeeper. But peacekeeper and peacemakers are two different things. Peacemakers listen to God and operate out of faith. Peacekeepers operate out of the spirit of fear. Peacekeepers don't listen to the Holy Spirit. They let people trample them and those around them to keep peace. It's not kingdom it's demonic. If you are a peacekeeper, you need to be set free from that. People pleaser. I'm a people pleaser. Don't get me wrong. This is something that the Lord has delivered me from and he is delivering me from. I want people to like me, but the problem is with that, sometimes I could be a peacekeeper and the Bible doesn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. I want to op- Who wants to walk in the blessing of God? I do. So that means sometimes a peacemaker has to wage war to make peace. We don't wage war against people, though. Why are peacemakers called children of God? Peacemakers know the voice of God because they operate in faith. Peacekeepers never experience the peace of God that passes understanding because they lay over, they they roll over, they, they just let people trample on them, and then they sacrifice people around them to keep peace and order instead of standing up and saying, no, this is wrong. If you can't treat me well or whatever the conversation needs to be, then I don't need you in my life. That's what a peacemaker would do. A peacekeeper is like, well, I don't want to offend them. I don't want to make them mad. I don't want to. I get it. But it's work at living at peace. Peacemakers, on the other hand, are blessed by God and are called children of God. Why? Because they know the Father's voice. They don't listen to fear, which will paralyze. Fear will paralyze you. You will create a false narrative in your head before you even have a conversation. And it will keep you from doing what's necessary to make peace. All the while, you have this false narrative about someone that they're, they don't, they have, they're oblivious to. And then you start believing it. Fear paralyzes every time they listen to the, the, the peacemakers 
Peacemakers, they listen to the Father who tells them, step in faith. Trust me. Hey, go ahead and have that conversation. Go ahead and have that difficult thing. Trust me. I'm with you. I'm for you. That's what peacemakers, they listen to the Father. Peacemakers understand what true, that true peace takes work and war. Let's be real. True peace takes work and war. Working with people first, working with people, showing the love of Jesus to everyone. Working with people, showing the love of Jesus to everyone. There are people that are very hard to love. Let's be real. And we are called as followers of Jesus to love everyone. Even if they disagree with us, even if they don't look like us, smell like us, vote like us, dress like us. We're called to love everyone. And that's work. Because we're human and we have opinions. We work with people showing the love of Jesus to them. And we war against the enemy of their souls. We don't ever war against people because our, our, our enemy is not from flesh and blood people. I don't care how messed up someone is. I don't care how far gone they are. They are not our enemy. We love them. We love them. The Bible says in Romans 2, it's God's loving kindness that draws us to repentance. You want to see that person changed by the love of Jesus? You love them. Jesus said, people will know you're my disciples by how you love one another. Love is our defining attribute. We love them. We work at making peace with everyone and we war against the enemy of our souls. Working to live at peace with everyone is going out of your way to love everyone with the love of God expressed through Jesus and giving them the truth of the gospel to everyone. When you love people, you tell them truth. My neighbor, the other night, I pulled in. It was 10 o'clock. His garage was wide open. And he has so many good tools in it. I mean, like, he's let me borrow a few. I'm 99% sure I returned them. But, no, I did. But he, he like he he's, he has he has a really nice garage and he's constantly he like he's making beautiful cabinets. His garage was wide open, all the lights were off. But because I love my neighbor as myself, the Bible says, "Love your neighbor as yourself." I went and rang his doorbell <laughs> at ten o'clock, and, I, and like it went to like one of those rings is like you may now record your message. I'm like, hi, <laughs> but I was like, your garage is open. I don't want anything stolen. That's, that's telling someone truth even though it's inconvenient. Like if someone knocked on my door at 10 o'clock at night, I would be like, oh, you got to be joking. Like Amy's been asleep at that point for probably four hours because <laughs> she sleeps like an old lady. <laughs> but I'm like, if you wake my wife, you're dealing with her wrath. Um, it's not the kids or the dog I'm worried about. No, but when we love people, we tell them the truth. If you see someone going to hell, what do you do? You give them the gospel. 
Then, then he says, work at living a holy life. I don't need to explain why this requires work. I don't think I need to explain why this instantly follows <laughs> work at living at peace with people. People are the main reasons that holiness is sometimes hard to find, right? All joking aside, some of us instantly heard when we say work at living a holy life, this is what we instantly heard. Work at being holy. That's not what it says. You can't. There's nothing about you that can be holy. You can't work at being holy. Your best efforts on your best days look like, the Bible says, filthy rags, but the technical term is minstrel rag, bloody rags. That's what our holiness looks like to God. That's our best efforts. It's gross and disgusting. Hence why Jesus had to come die for us in our place on our cross to make us holy and righteous. So it doesn't say work at being holy because you're completely holy and righteous before God if you're in Christ. It says work at living holy. This is hard. It's work, but it's so rewarding because the more we work at this, the more we start truly believing what God has already said about us. When we work at this, we start believing, I am the son of God. I am a daughter of God. I am redeemed. I am the righteousness of God because that's our, our life that we're living. It makes us look like Jesus. I think another way to say this, work at, being, uh, work at living a holy life, another way to say it would be this, act like Jesus would act until the act is no longer an act. I'm just gonna let you marinate in that for a moment. Act like Jesus would act until the act is no longer an act. You consistently choose. This is how I used to be. I would go do this. But now because I'm redeemed, I have a choice. I'm going to choose what Jesus would do. WWJD. But you do this consistently over the course of time here pretty soon. You're not going to be choosing the things you used to do before Jesus. You're going to start choosing the things that Jesus would do, and it would come natural to you. It's kind of like flossing your teeth. The first time you do it, you're like, oh, this is hard and awkward. But now, I, I, and it takes like 10 minutes, and now I can floss my teeth in under a minute and do it well because I've been doing it for years. But it's a discipline. It's not something that just comes natural. It's work. This is a decision day in and day out to put the work in. I promise you, though, like all work, the more we do it, the more we are able to live at peace with everyone and the more we'll look like Jesus and the more we'll be able to hear him consistently and clearly. And the second thought I want to hit you with, the second command that the Holy Spirit hits us with is look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. I, like this is... So these commands cascade. Have you guys ever seen a cascading waterfall? They pour into each other. 
Yeah, that's what these commands do. They're pouring into each other because there's no coincidences in the kingdom. God is too sovereign for this. And there's, this is strategic. God put this right here strategically. Let's define grace for a moment, though. It's unearned and undeserved favor and love. That's what grace is. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But God gives it. It's, he gives his favor on you and he gives his love to you. And the reason why he says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Guess what this is talking about? We don't actually have to guess. I'm going to tell you. It has nothing to do with sin. It has everything to do with self-righteousness. Because you know how hard and know how easy it would be when we're working at living a holy life to cross the line into self-righteousness, to think that we've somehow done something important or somehow think that we have earned some part of our salvation. This has nothing to do with sin. He's saying, don't let people slip into self-righteousness because you know the only people that don't receive the grace of God are arrogant, self-righteous, prideful people. It's not that God doesn't want to give it. They won't receive it. Know who does receive the grace of God? Sinners. <laughs> people who recognize how spiritually bankrupt they are. People who say, oh God, I need you. Forgive me. Day in and day out. Those people receive grace time and again and again. And it takes humility. And, and it takes the... <laughs> It takes a willingness to bow down before the Lord at his feet and say, God, I'm not worthy, but I need you. And we consistently come to the feet of Jesus and bow in humility and walk in repentance. But self-righteous people, they don't do that. They think they're good. You know who Jesus had a problem with in the New Testament? But people who thought they were self-righteous. Jesus even said, Right, like well, people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And he was talking to a Pharisee who thought he was the stuff. He's like, "Why are you eating with sinners? Why are you eating with all these decrepit people?" He's like, "Those are the people that receive grace because they re recognize their spiritual bankruptcy." But all these religious people, and that's the thing with religion and legalism, it always leads to self-righteousness. We think we can earn something from God. Everything that God gives us is 100% on him, and it's an act of grace. Self-righteous people are people who are too proud to admit they are sinners. They think they are, God, they, they think they are good, they think their good works will get them into heaven. You hear it all the time at funerals. Well, he was a good person. He's in heaven. Or she was a great person. She was so nice. Mike. But were they born again? Because being a good person, you know, here, I love you guys. I love you. I love you a lot. But there's a lot of good people in hell. The requirement for heaven is Jesus. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes through the Father but through me. Jesus said you have to be born again. And it's for everyone. But people who are religious and self-righteous, they won't admit that they need him. They might be good people. They might be moral people. They might be 
but if they've never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that's the only requirement for heaven. It's not do this, do that, do this, be a good person, don't commit murder or whatever. No, it's like, do you believe in Jesus? That's why murderers can get saved and redeemed because it's on Jesus. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. It's all on him. So we, we, we look after each other so that none of you fails to receive. Like if you're, if you're becoming self-righteous, man, we need to check each other. Like, whoa, you need to dial back because guess what? It's by grace you are saved. This is not from yourself. We need to examine ourselves and look out for each other. This is part of peacemaking. Peacekeepers won't have these conversations, but peacemakers will. We need to examine ourselves and look after each other. What this does is this, is this opens our ears to hear God clearly and consistently. And because it requires humility. We start doing this, we start looking like Jesus. God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble, man. It takes humility to do this. It takes humility to have these conversations. And the next thought I want to, to look at is watch out the no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. It says bitter there. That's a typo on my end. Sorry. It looks like the Holy Spirit knows how to write, doesn't it? Because when you become self-righteous, guess what the next <laughs> guess what the next cascading effect would be? Bitterness. You see it in churches all the time. People who think they're self-righteous and they're pious and all this stuff. They're the like most bitter believers. They always have an issue with everything. Everyone's out to get them. They they carry their offenses on their shoulder. They they, they get offended by the, well, they didn't sing my favorite song. They haven't even opened a hymn book in years. We haven't. Praise the Lord. Um, there's some good books. There, there's some good songs and hymn books. Don't get me wrong. That's why we have YouTube. Um, and I'm not saying anything against them. I listen to them. But I promise you that none of us want to open a hymn book anymore. You know how heavy that would get? Where was I going? I got stuck on hymn books. He's so intentional with his commands. May... He's, he's not, he didn't make error when he, he put this next. They cascade into each other. So he tells us look after each other so that we don't become self-righteous. And so we don't become bitter. Why? Holy Spirit understands how detrimental the effects of bitterness are on people, especially those who are born again. Bitterness is literally poison to a believer's life. It kills us from the inside out. It's literally like drinking poison and hoping the person you're mad at dies. That's what bitterness is like. It's Bitterness is opposite of unforgiveness. Bitterness is opposite of grace. 
We are called to forgive our enemies and love our enemies and bless those who curse us. But when we're bitter, we won't do that because it's detrimental to our walk with God. And, and, and another thing that bitterness does, bitterness kills our joy. I've never met a, a bitter person that I'm like, man, they are just abounding in joy. No, a bitter person will tell you everything wrong with their life in the first five minutes you met them. You're like, they're like, oh, I love Jesus, but let me tell you, gosh, life is hard and it sucks and you don't know what's going on. I mean, like, you know Jesus <laughs> is life, right? You know, like, it, it doesn't make sense, but that's what bitterness does. It, it kills joy. And I, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a, a, a lens into Satan's playbook for your life. First and foremost, he wants to kill you physically, financially, and spiritually, mostly spiritually. He wants you to be in hell for eternity. That's his game plan. That's his end goal. But there are some initial things. He doesn't just come out with a, with a rifle and say, I'm going to kill their bitterness or I'm going to kill their joy. No, he, he gives us circumstances. He gives us chain links over time and he makes us kill our own joy. He makes us become bitter on our own. But he goes, he initially goes after a few things in a believer's life. First, he goes after our joy. Why does he go after the joy? The Bible says, God's joy is our strength. So what does this look like? Well, practically, this is what the joy of the Lord looks like. No matter what life throws at me, good, bad, ugly, death, bankruptcy, divorce, whatever it looks like, I know God is good. God does good and he works good for me. This season that I find myself in might suck. It might be the worst season I've ever walked through. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. But the joy of the Lord will make you declare, but I'm going to trust God and praise him even when I don't feel like it. That's what the joy of the Lord does. It strengthens us. It's not walking around with a bubbling smile on your face all the time like, well, life is good. I'm just happy. That's not the joy of the Lord. That's called idiocracy. And some people are like that. Don't get me wrong. If you're like that, you're not an idiot. Just saying. I'm just saying, it just looks weird. But the joy of the Lord, it gives us strength to say, man, this is hard. But God, you're good and I trust you. Even though I don't feel like it. There's two times to praise the Lord, right? When you feel like it and when you... So when he gets our joy, we quickly stop believing God is good. We start saying things like this. Tell me if this doesn't sound familiar. We've all been there. If God is good, why did he let this happen? Mm. Then that quickly spirals into bitterness. You refuse to see how God can do anything good. And when he does, you write it off as coincidence. That's what bitterness does. If I just described you, I have good news. Humble yourself and ask God to restore all his joy. 
and he will. Ask God to restore his joy to your heart, and he will, because he wants to give you his strength. He wants to give it to you. The Bible, he says he withholds no good thing. Holy Spirit commands us to look out for the bitter root of bitterness. Let's stop it before it grows. There's always going to be moments in life that will allow us to have bitterness. But we got to stop it before it grows because it will grow up and it will destroy you. And the last thing, and this is the hardest thing, the hardest command, Holy Spirit, it says, make sure, he said, make sure that no one is immoral or godless. Bitterness is the last stop before this part. Holy Spirit ends this cascade. You know, the thing is, with self-righteous people, they have a hard time hearing God. Bitter people have a hard time hearing God. Immoral and godless people have a hard time hearing God. I'm not saying that God is not speaking to them, and I'm not saying that they can't hear God. I'm saying they have a hard time hearing God. But when we do the things that he's commanding us to do here, it helps us open our ears to hear him consistently and clearly and Holy Spirit ends this cascade with this. Immorality and, immorality and godlessness are opposite sides of the same coin. It's called satanic. We see it in our, in our society right now. Immoral and the godless have no regard for Jesus or the culture or, or the gospel. Our culture is completely immoral. Our culture is completely godless. That's why we are on earth, to be counterculture. We are countering the darkness. And get this, it doesn't take a lot of light to disperse darkness. Because you know the definition of darkness? It's the absence of light. Absence of light. All we have to do is show up. And it lights up the space. That's why Christians who truly follow Jesus stand out like a sore thumb in a godless and immoral society. When we're willing to say the truth that people don't want to hear, get this, no one ever wanted to hear truth. That's why they killed Jesus, that's why they killed the apostles, and that's why they're still killing Christians. In the United States, they might not be killing them physically, but they're trying to kill them emotionally, they're trying to Oh, what's, what's the new word? Um, cancel them. Because we're telling truth. The truth is, apart from Jesus, there's no salvation. You know, know what's interesting is no other religion is getting the scrutiny that Christ is. You know, Muslims have a lot of the same stances that we do, but no one's attacking Islam. No, it's because Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. And Jesus is the life. And no one comes through the Father but through Jesus. And when we stand up in a society, they can stand up and no one will say anything because they're afraid of offending them. But when we stand up, they're not afraid of offending. No, why? Because Jesus said it. He said, the world will hate you because of me, but love them. In this world, you have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. This is the reality of being a Christian Love your neighbor as yourself, whether your neighbor hates you or not. Love your enemy. There's only one person in history that's ever said that. And he's the same person today that's saying it. It's Jesus Christ. 
Our society is completely immoral and godless, but we are here as emissaries of Jesus to be a light into the darkness. Holy Spirit addresses this because it has infil- infiltrates and destroys quickly. Immorality and godlessness infiltrates quickly and it destroys quickly. There is only one answer to immorality in scripture, and it is to flee. If there's an immoral decision before you, if there is an immoral um, temptation before you, there is one answer. It's run. It's flee. You can't take it on in your own strength. You can't stand up to it. Run. The Bible says flee from sexual immorality for um, all other sins are committed outside the body, but when you sin sexually, you sin against God and yourself. In the Old Testament, when Joseph is tempted with Potiphar, what it, he, she, she came on to him, grabbed his cloak, he got up and he ran. We must run from immorality, every hint of it. Because immorality quickly becomes godlessness. Because when we start acting immorally, guess what? We start justifying our actions. And here pretty soon we'll have no regard for the word of God. We'll have no regard for for the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus. And after that, we start creating a Jesus of our own design. We start worshiping a God that is not in the Bible, but we, 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 we have an idol that we call Jesus and he's being preached throughout churches that do not stand on the word of God today. That's why he's saying, make sure there is no one immoral or godless because it destroys quickly. Listen very carefully. It's better to be holy for eternity than happy for a moment. Don't, society says, do what makes you happy. Do what feels good. Follow your heart. That's the worst advice. It's counter the word of God. The Bible says your heart is full of every kind of wickedness. That's the last thing you need to do. As believers and followers of Jesus, we got to do what makes us holy. Not happy. Because God is not concerned about your happiness. He's concerned about your eternity. There'll be plenty of time for happiness. And let me, listen, when you start walking with Jesus and you start doing what makes you holy, you'll find that the joy of the Lord will make you more happy than anything this world has to offer because it's counterfeit. The world's happiness is happiness for a moment. God's joy is is happiness for eternity. The immoral person makes God say things that he didn't, and the godless person doesn't care what he said. (laughs) Is that not truth? I'm going to say it again. The immoral person makes God say things that he didn't, and the godless person doesn't care what he said. Holy Spirit gives us these commands and they build off of each other to prime us to hear God clearly and consistently. So the last thing I'm going to leave you with is the first thing we started with. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. Holy Spirit ends this section with a warning This is not a command. This is a warning. If you were born again, we just went through some stuff that requires self-examination. And more importantly, let Holy Spirit search us. 
that we might repent. There's some of us in here that need to repent. There's some of us in here that think they're a Christian that aren't. If you're watching online, you might think you're okay because you said a prayer. But this is, that's not, that's not the same as being born again. It's making Jesus Lord. The good news is, the Holy Spirit will make us like Jesus. When we repent, it, all, all, this, all these, all of them take humility. They take humility. But the cool thing is God gives grace to the humble. He helps you when you're humble. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you've never asked him into your life and have com- and given him kingship of your life, there's a different weight here to this. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. Jesus came to earth. Jesus became man, lived as a man, never once sinned, yet he got killed for our sins on a cross. And three days later, he came back to life to set us free from the power of sin in our life. And all we have to do is what Jesus said in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not, but all, right? Shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 3, 23. You're like, well, I'm good. I believe in Jesus. Have you confessed him? Because Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all in the same boat. We all got to accept Christ. It takes humility. But the, the, the even better news is Romans 6.23. It says, For the wages of sin is death. So if you just keep living your life for yourself, and you, and you refuse to listen today, and you keep making yourself Lord and King of your life, the only thing that you get in this life and, to, and, and eternity to come is death. You will exist forever. You are eternal. You will exist. But the condition in which you exist de- is determined by whether you bow before Jesus now or later. For the wages of sin, the only thing sin can give you is death. But the free gift of God, you don't have to earn it, it's a gift, is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So the Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts, then we're born again. It's so simple. He said, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. Like you don't have to do anything about your sin. Jesus already took care of it. He he paid the bill. You can't earn it that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. You just have to believe. So I say to you again, be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger. We will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. He's calling out to us. And if you, if you are a believer, he might be saying, hey, 
Repent of this area in your life. You need to give this to me. And if you're not a believer, he's saying, just believe in Jesus. So what we're going to do is, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to open the front. And this takes humility. I'm not going to force anyone to do anything. But I think there are people here that need to pray. To repent. I think there are people here that need Jesus. They need to give their hearts to Jesus. You've been trying to do it on your own. God wants to speak to us. He wants to speak clearly. He, he is speaking clearly and he is speaking consistently. But, but when, when we take, when we take at, and work at living in peace with everyone, work at living a holy life, when we take and we look after each other that none of us fails to receive God's grace, when, when we watch out for, for bitterness, when we make sure that no one is immoral or godless, know what that does? It opens our ears to hear him clearly and consistently. And God is calling to you. There are people in this room that's like, man, I just need to pray. I have not been loving my neighbor. <laughs> I've, I've been holding on to bitterness. I need to repent. I mean, I've, I've let some immorality up in my heart. I've been acting godless. Some of us need to repent. This is, that's part of walking with God. You don't need to feel any shame. You don't need to feel anything. This is part of it. So the altars are open and as they start to sing, just come and pray. And if you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to be up here. I'm going to be standing right over here. My team's going to be standing right over here. We want to introduce you to Jesus because he loves you. He doesn't want you to go through life wondering if you're a Christian. When you, when you believe, you don't have to wonder anymore. I just know that I'm a son of God because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So let's respond. Let's respond. Let's all stand. It's easier to respond when we're standing. Let's get those muscles flowing. And this also lets me know who's been asleep the whole time. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Let's, let's respond. Let's come and pray. We're here to pray with you. If you just want to kneel at the front, come kneel. A lot of this is between you and the Lord. I could pray with you, but it doesn't matter. If you're unrepentant, you need to say, Holy Spirit, change me.